Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Today, in this place, we declare again that we are God's people and we are proud. We are worthy and dignified. We are lesbian and we are gay and we are bisexual and we are trans. We are queer and we are also allies. We are sexual and we are asexual. We are masculine and feminine and fluid, and all of us together are the beloveds of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have to say this in the church because the church has told us along the way that if we did not conform to overly narrow sexual and gender identities, we were not God's beloveds, and the church was wrong. The church was wrong. NDPC is a welcoming congregation. Our sign out front says so, right? It must be so. Well, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. The truth is, you can't welcome all. You can only welcome individual beloveds of God. We welcome each other one by one. We welcome the people that God brings to our doors in all of the wild and wonderful ways that God makes us. And when we welcome each other, we pledge to hear each other's stories. So today, we are fortunate to hear two testimonies from members of this community as they talk about coming out and coming to faith and coming to know themselves as God's beloved. The first testimony is recorded by a gentleman named Billy Flood, who was a member in the flesh here for some time. He has since moved to Nashville, where he teaches theater, but he continues to participate in our online community. So his testimony comes as an audio recording today. Let's listen to first, first to Billy Flood. My name is Billy Flood, and this is my testimony. Being a part of North Decatur Presbyterian Church is special even from afar. A community of faith that questions and wrestles with its faith, like Jacob, resonates deeply with this black gay Christian. Somehow I was blessed by the Spirit to know that God loved me from a very early age. The Black Baptist Church I grew up in was very don't ask, don't tell, though gays were everywhere, from the organist who rivaled Liberace to the lumberjack-looking lesbian who was over the children's choir. Homophobia wasn't preached from the pulpit, but it was an unspoken rule that we didn't acknowledge the elephant in the room. The gays were among us. (laughs) Growing up in the late 80s, early 90s meant the gay characters on TV were the very special episodes of Different Strokes or Silver Spoons where the child star was almost caught by a single older gay male who was also a pedophile. 
<sighs> that was about it in terms of representation. With the church at large telling me that we, what we know it was telling gay folks back then, and in conservative congregations still today, it wasn't until I was 18 and went away to undergrad in Dayton, Ohio, that I encountered a renegade minister who affirmed what I knew, that God knit me together in my mother's womb, and God didn't make mistakes. Yikes. Problematic, I know. Bodies break down, as we've been talking about recently, cancer, arthritis, etc. But it works in this case, I guess. So me being gay is who God made me. Since then, I have always found firm friends, love and community, and affirming Protestant congregations, regardless of denomination. I've been wounded by the church growing up, but also accepted, affirmed, loved, and strengthened by the people in the pews and some ministers who have marched next to me in pride parades and passed out water to gay men in speedos marching by the corner of 5th Avenue and 29th Street in Manhattan. I love the people of God who have loved my black gay body, see what I did there, in its entirety. Thank you for keeping remote worship possible. Much love to my Christian family in Decatur. Our second testimony this morning is from one of our elders, Jill Jakes. Uh, thank you, Billy. Whew. I wish I had gone first. <laughs> I am proud to be a gay Christian. And I'm proud to be affirmed here. As Billy, um, I grew up in the church, and it was a homophobic church. And I grew up homophobic. And luckily, I was introduced to this church in the late 90s. That was a positive. You all were very welcoming to Pam and me. And as Billy actually said, affirming. And there is a difference. There's a difference from the sign saying we welcome you to actually affirming. You all ordained me before it was legal to ordain elders in the church. Positive, thank you. But then I had to endure a few not so good things. I was placed on the Peace, Unity, and Purity Committee for the, the PCUSA as we struggled with ordaining gay people and marrying gay people. And I was on a, a group of fellow elders from around the city and had to listen to people equate an elder being gay to bestiality, because they didn't think I was gay, because that would have been illegal. So I, that was tough, um, not so good. And when I was an elder then on session, we weren't as bold out there as we were in here. Um, Pam and I weren't able to be married here. We weren't allowed. We were told no. So we married elsewhere, but continued to go here. On session back then, we decided not to join in the overture for gay ordination and marriage and not to join with Covenant Network in support of LGBTQ ordination. And that's when I was on session. 
So that was hard, but we worked through it together. So the thing that was important then was that we were in conversation. And we loved each other through it and supported each other through it and grew through it. And then we became more overt with our equality and, and our support for LGBTQ people in the Pride Parade and with David and Beth being more vocal out into the, into the world. And things started to change. In the PCUSA, we voted for gay ordination and gay marriage. And that was just five, six years ago. And it split our church. Um, not this church, thankfully, but the, the broader church. And we, about half of our brothers and sisters are no longer part of our denomination. And what I realized in thinking about today is we just stopped talking about it because now we're all of like mind. And there's still a lot to talk about because I'll say I'm, I'm the executive sponsor for our Pride Alliance at work and I'm the only gay Christian who goes to church. There are other gay Christians, there are a lot of other gay people, and there are actually a lot of other gay Christians, but they don't feel welcome or affirmed anywhere. So of course I tell them about this church. But there's a lot of hurt from the many years. Um, and so what I'd ask, as we think about who we are as a church, um, what we stand for with pride, is to be proud out there. Be proud to affirm gay Christians. Be proud of what this church has struggled through and talk about it. And let others know that we do want to continue to be a voice in the world as Jesus taught us to love one another, every single one of us. Thank you. Good morning. The scripture this morning is Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. So, as Jesus continued down the road, a man came running up, fell on his knees before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, said the man, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. Then Jesus said, you are lacking 
one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away shocked and grieving for he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, children, it is difficult to enter God's kingdom. It is easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were even more shocked and said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it is impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. Then Peter spoke up, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I assure you this, that anyone who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or farms because of me and because of the good news, will receive 100 times as much now in this life, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, with harassment, and in the coming age, eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The word of God. Thanks be to God. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and redeemer. Amen. A few months ago, somebody asked me what my favorite story is in the Bible. And I didn't really have an answer because there are a lot of great stories in the Bible. There are tales of courage and bravery, of vulnerability and love, prophets speaking truth to power, Jesus having little children come to him. There are some stories I could definitely rule out from my list of favorites, if only because of the devastation. Like the amount of destruction happening in Noah's Ark 
or the devastation of the killing of infant boys perceived to be threats to wealthy rulers. And at this point, you might be expecting me to say that today's text is one of my favorites. But I don't know that it is, because this text is hard. This text starts with a man who just wants to confirm with Jesus that he's doing all of the right things to get to heaven, but quickly turns into Jesus telling him he's missed a crucial point. It's a story about falling short, about coming face to face with the reality that could cost us everything. So let's talk about this man who comes to Jesus. This is one of the stories in the Bible that appears in multiple Gospels, in this case, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very similar, but as naturally happens, when different people tell the same story, we learn something a little bit different about the man in each version. Mark calls him a man who's wealthy. Luke introduces him as a certain ruler and tells us at the end that he was very rich. Matthew calls him a young man with many possessions. So putting this all together, you have what might be framed as the ideal position of privilege. A male in a heavily patriarchal society, rich in a world based mostly on subsistence, powerful, young, with presumably many years left to live. What more could a person ask for in life? So when it comes to Jesus, to double check that everything is going smoothly and correctly for him, to get everlasting life, Jesus makes a deceptively big ask. There's only one thing you lack, he says. Give away all of your possessions, then come follow me. So first, Jesus is asking him to surrender his wealth, which is often the part of the story we talk about. Then and now, this is a big ask. Money provides us safety, security, the ability to take care of our families, to buy anything we want. Give it to the poor, Jesus says. Can you imagine looking Jesus face to face and hearing him say, yes, you've kept all the commandments, but you can only follow me if you give away everything you own. Ouch. The funny part is, money isn't even all that Jesus is asking for here. When you're face to face with Jesus, following him means walking away from your station. This brings to mind the fishermen who dropped their nets when Jesus called. The man who was told there wasn't time to see his father to the end of his days before following Jesus. And if this rich young ruler follows Jesus for a while, he won't be forever young either. If the rich young ruler really wanted to follow Jesus on the road, he would be giving up his power, his ability to rule over and control other people. He's not going to be in control anymore. Are you cringing yet? What does it mean to come face to face with a reality that asks for the courage to walk away from financial comfort and control over your own life in pursuit of Jesus. So there are multiple ways this story can go. This can become an idolatry story in which a person's valuing of wealth becomes an idol when he possibly chooses that above hitting the road with Jesus. 
He isn't able to demonstrate care for neighbors over his own financial situation or to find his identity in following God instead of in money. The story could also be about salvation being by grace alone. Jesus tells them how being saved is impossible to achieve for us mortals. We can't earn eternal life. We have to rely on God for that. It's a both and, for sure. Both readings are true to this text. But I want to spin it on its head. I think this story is a statement that what we do on earth matters. Let's step back out and examine the larger conversation here. The ruler asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after some back and forth, Jesus instead tells him what he must do to follow Jesus. And this is potentially a confusing move since the ruler does not have the perspective we do about Jesus being God's son who dies on the cross and is resurrected. It is after the rich man walks away that Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God and when the disciples ask who can be saved and Jesus says what's impossible for mortals is possible for God, it's only then that Jesus uses the eternal life in the age to come language. In the part of the interaction for which the man is present, Jesus is more interested in what he's going to do right now. This is Pride Sunday here at North Decatur and Pride Month in the United States. Like the rich man caught in a moment of a decision of enormous consequence, we too have a big question in front of us. What are we going to do right now? So I'm going to name some truths that are hard to hear. The church has caused tremendous harm to queer and trans people over the ages. LGBTQ plus people have been told that we will not inherit eternal life because of who we love. LGBTQ plus people have been denied the ability to preach in pulpits just like this one. Queer and trans people are put in positions in which we might lose everything. Jobs, safety, relationships, family, for living our lives the way God made us. Queer and trans people have had to hide who they are for a lifetime because it's not safe to do anything different. So how can we preach about or focus on eternal life when there is so much harm that has been done in this life in the name of religion to queer and trans people, particularly queer and trans people of color? Don't get me wrong. There have been some improvements made. In 2015, but remember, that was only six years ago, the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage across the nation. In the last decade, PCUSA has said that pastors can conduct same-sex marriages if they wish to and be ordained. It was 10 years ago that PCUSA ordained its first out lesbian pastor. This is progress, but it should have come faster. It does not erase the pain of the past that comes with us into the present, and there's still a long way to go. This is where we come in. We as a church have committed to welcoming all. How can we use our voices to do justice now, to love kindness now, and to walk humbly with God now in this life? 
When I think about how I can use my own voice, it's always tied to my own embodiment, my own privilege. I invite you all to think about what positions of privilege you have as well, because with privilege comes choice. When Jesus tells the wealthy ruler the thing he's missing is to give away all of his possessions and follow him, the rich man has been presented with a choice. And it's his response to this choice that has captured my attention all week. He walks away shocked and grieving. We don't get an epilogue for this man. We don't ultimately know what he chose. Why is he grieving? I've read it at least two different ways that are very different from each other. He could be grieving because he hears Jesus' ask and knows that he won't be able to do it. He grieves because he knows the opportunity he lost because of the idols he's constructed and claimed. But maybe he's grieving, just maybe, because he knows the enormity of the task in front of him and he's working through grief of what he thinks he's losing to find the courage to take it on anyway. North Decatur Presbyterian Church, we have a choice. When Jesus calls us to follow in a way that takes courage and faith, to give away our possessions and our idols, to be able to participate in God's abundance, how are we going to respond? Are we going to walk away grieving because we're afraid of an ask that big? Are we going to sit in privileged complacency? Are we going to say that there will be other people to say that Black Lives Matter, or other people to stand up for queer and trans people when it's uncomfortable, or other people to help those who are worried about where their next meal comes from, or other people to be in solidarity with those being held at the border? Or are we going to courageously experience the grief that comes with the loss of the life we know it towards the commitment to transformation? It's costly, as Jesus showed us how to do when he walked the earth. But every day, we choose. Our prayers of the people this morning were also written by Reverend M. Barclay, whose poem was read earlier in the service. It's uh, titled, A Prayer for Everyday Injustice. God who goes before and after the headlines, who sees the slow monotony of oppression's work, you lift the veil of the ordinary and expose the everyday faces of evil. Draw near in all the common moments that make us weary. Be close when we hear it said that it's not a big deal or that's just how it is. Keep us tender and do not let us grow numb to the pains of normal. And so with compassion and courage we pray we pray for all who will be followed in the store, for all who will worry about holding their lover's hand in public, for all who will be names, for all whose body will be touched without permission, for all who should go to the doctor but can't afford to, for all who will be talked down to, 
for all whose roots will be inaccessible, for all whose difference will lead to sneers or slurs, for all who worry the homophobes are right about what God thinks of them, for those who post happy pictures online but live in the shadows of depression or anxiety, for all who cannot afford to take a break, for all who will wake up hungry or go to bed hungry, for all who, because of mental illness, feel they don't deserve any better, for all who will not be believed, for all that goes unnamed, unrecognized, and unaddressed, you, O oh God, are with us, not only on the mountaintops and in the valleys, but on the long stretches of ordinary. You are there too. May your sustaining hand uphold. May your righteous fury arise. May your tender care embrace. May your love do its work on all of us, reviving us in the waters of baptism awakening us to the roles we play, calling us to live lives of collective transformation, nourishing us to dream dreams and prophesy of the world you conspire to create with us, where everyday justice is no more. We seal our prayer now, saying together the prayer you taught us, our Father and Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm back <laughs> as your stewardship chair, uh, stewardship elder, and I just hopefully you were listening to Erin as she said, give away all your possessions. Uh, and time and your talents and I, I'm here just to introduce a video uh, we wanted to do a spotlight of our theme for this month is sowing seeds of courage from our community of care and want to highlight what we do uh, what the personnel and our staff actually do and are thinking about uh, to lift us up as a community of care so that we can go out and seed uh, sow seeds of courage so Jason if you would roll the video I'll go where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Hi, I'm Mary Anona, pastor for older adult spiritual formation at the church. And I'm excited to be able to say that I genuinely enjoy working at North Decatur Prez. I enjoy working with the staff, with the congregation, whether here at church or out in the community, I wake up in the morning 
glad to be part of the mission and ministry of this congregation. And in the coming year, I hope to continue to bring to bear and strengthen the ties that bind us together as a community. These days, it seems like it takes a lot of courage to wake up in the morning and to love and to hope. All